You are listening to audio from Haddington Elam Church. We hope you are encouraged by this today. For more information about our weekly services or messy church, you can find us at haddingtonelamchurch.com. Talking about the rich fool, I was thinking about initially uh, putting up a picture of Mr. T. Do you guys remember Mr. T from the Rocky films? And I don't know, he was in the A team. And he always, his catchphrase was, I pity the fool. You remember that? So I was good. And I didn't think that would probably be too spiritual to have a message called, I pity the fool. This message uh, I'm going to bring today, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 12. Majority of our scriptures are going to be out of Luke chapter 12. Last week, we looked at Jesus told us the cure for anxiety. I know in the, today's society, in today's age, a number of us can be afflicted with anxiety. Jesus tells us the cure for anxiety. Our creator knows us best. And he says for us not to worry or be anxious. So our creator, the one who created us, knows that those things aren't good in our lives. He knows everything that we need and provides for us. So I know that times we can be anxious. And just a backstory before we get into the text today. This is a very large crowd that Jesus is addressing. Thousands have gathered to hear him. And right before the text today, a man comes up to Jesus and says, you know, Rabbi, can you solve this dispute between me and my brother? He won't give me half of the estate. He wants him to solve a property dispute. And what's interesting is in that day, a rabbi actually could help to dispute these things. But a, a, normally a rabbi could be part of a legal dispute. And so he's asking Jesus to help him. But Jesus refused to get involved because he knew that the answer that he would give would address the real problem. See, one of the things that Jesus does is he knows the real problem. He sees into our very souls. There's nothing that we can hide from him. We've been going into the prison, as many of you know, and it was interesting. The prisoners were like, it must have been interesting having a conversation with Jesus, being that he knows everything. And I was like, yes, indeed, that would certainly be interesting, knowing that Jesus knows everything. But he doesn't address the problem because the real problem was covetousness in the hearts of the two brothers. As long as both had greed in their hearts, no solution would satisfy. Their greatest need was a change of heart. Like many people today, they wanted Jesus to serve them, but not save them. Jesus takes this dispute between these brothers and uses it as an opportunity to teach about the dangers of coveting. To covet is an issue of the heart. So Jesus says in verse 15, and he said to them, guard yourselves and keep free from all covetousness, the immoderate desire for wealth, the greedy longing to have more, for a man's life does not consist in and is not derived from possessing overflowing abundance or that which is over and above his needs. It's a matter of the heart. Our world has this idea, and I'm sure many of you have heard it many times, that he with the most toys wins. Do you ever hear that expression? They always say to look out. Our world tells us, look out for number one. And I would say, don't step in number two. When millionaires were asked a number of years ago, because now we're into billionaires, but millionaires were asked, how much, how much do you need? How much more would you like? And do you want to guess what they said? A little bit more. Millions wasn't enough. 
more. Some were bold enough to say a lot more. Some said they wanted it all. We have a world where we have some Elon Musks and some Jeff Bezos and billionaires. They couldn't spend their money in probably 10 lifetimes. Some people long for and desire more than enough. And what this is the, the idea of, it's not just a desire to have, it's, a, it's almost like a lust. It's like a greedy, greedy desire to have more than what you need. If you remember that film, Forrest Gump, Forrest Gump was smart enough to know, he says in the film, you only need so much money to live on. The rest is just for showing off. One of the Ten Commandments is thou shalt not covet. Of all the things God could have included in the list, you shouldn't covet. Coveting is dangerous as it's a greedy desire to have more and more and more. We're all in danger of covetousness. And we must protect ourselves from it. We're told in scriptures to guard our heart. And Jesus is telling us in this to guard ourselves. He says that a man's life is not in what we own or from our possessions. A lot of times we get our identity or we get our self-worth from what we own. And he's saying that's not what your life is, is about. That's not what it consists of. Some of the wealthiest people, believe it or not, are the most miserable people on earth. One of the things with wealth, you're always afraid somebody's going to rob you or somebody's going to take it. So even though they live in these big mansions and castles, they're afraid. They're not living well. They're like Ebenezer Scrooge. Remember him? He'll probably see his films coming up on the telly soon enough. They don't have any enjoyment in life. Wealthy people can be some of the most miserable. And again, we seem to find our self-worth in the things that we own. We need to get our self-worth from God. He holds us in high esteem, enough so that he sent Jesus to die for us. That's where we should get our self-worth and everything from, from that that our God, our Heavenly Father, loves us. Verse 16, and then Jesus uses this opportunity and tells him a parable. A parable is a simple story illustrating a moral or religious lesson, saying, and here's the parable, the land of a rich man was fertile and yielded plentifully. This parable is about a man who was already wealthy. Some people in the Bible were very wealthy. Solomon, Abraham, God's not concerned with wealth. He's not concerned about us being wealthy and owning stuff. But what God is concerned about is does our stuff own us? That's what he's concerned about. In this story, and Jesus is using this parable to bring, bring this home to us, it says that the land was fertile and brought a huge yield. Now the man may have fertilized it, maybe he was skilled in farming, but God brings the increase. Think about that in our lives. We can work and we can strive and we can do, work our fingers to the bone. God brings the increase. Although the man may have farmed this land for years, this year brought in the bumper crop. This was the, the year that maybe he had dreamed of. We may all have all had years with much more yield than previous years. We've also had years that put us in the red. We've also had lean years. But we need to know that God alone is our provider. Sometimes we think it's us and what we do, but God is the provider. Everything belongs to him and comes from him. 
My pastor friend used to say, do you want to know what you, how much you own? Die. You'll find that you don't own anything. You're not taking anything with you. And Jesus, continuing on verse 17, and he considered and debated within himself, what shall I do? I have no place in which to gather together my harvest. Here's an interesting twist in the parable. Jesus tells us what the man is thinking in his heart to himself. The man isn't audibly speaking. And Jesus is telling us what's going on inside. He does the same with us. He knows what's going on inside. He knows every motive, every intent, every attitude in our hearts. That's why the Bible says guard your heart in the sense that our motives can't be hidden from God. We need to have pure motives. We need to have love. He saw the landfall harvest as the way to please himself with no thoughts of others or God. So here's a dilemma and a question. How do we respond to this? His problem was too much wealth. We could say that we wish we had that problem. Many people probably would say that, I wish that was my problem. But could that reveal covetousness in our hearts? Could that reveal something within ourselves? If you suddenly inherited a great deal of wealth, would it create a problem? Some people would say, I would gladly welcome that problem. Would you thank God and ask him what he wanted you to do with it? Or would you already have it spent? Would you already think of the places you're going and the things you're doing? This isn't a Confucius saying, but it's one that I, I say often. Money is relative. The more money, the more relatives. I don't know if you ever heard that. A lot of times wealth creates a lot of problems. There are dangers to prosperity. And the Bible says this. Wealth can choke out the word of God. It can create snares and temptations and give a false sense of security. It's not the answer. People think, oh, if I just had more money or more wealth, it could be the answer. It actually could be more problems. There was a list that had happened. I wish I could have found the article or have included it today, but they did a, a, a story, and I've, I might have shared this before. It was uh, people who won like more than a million pounds in lotteries. And the top 10 people, every single one of them wished that they never would have won it. It created more problems. They had family members that wanted to kill them, tried to kill them. Marriages ended in divorce. Like it created nothing but problems. And within, I think, a year or two, they were all bankrupt. And so that wasn't a, a solution to a problem. Continuing on, and Jesus is speaking again, using this as an opportunity. And he, and he said, the man says, I will do this. I will pull down my storehouses and build larger ones. There I will store all my grain and produce and my goods. The man shows no concern for anyone else. So the next question to consider, how do we respond to his decision to build larger barns and to store up even more for himself? We could say that he must have been a good business owner. He's saving for his future and having things ready for his retirement. But instead of that, Jesus sees him as selfish in everything he did. Verse 19, and I will say to my soul, soul, you have many good things laid up, enough for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and enjoy yourself merrily. Notice the I wills. Satan's downfall was pride. 
because he said, I will ascend above the stars and the throne of God. I will get all the worship. I will be careful of the I wills. We can sometimes say, I will do such and such. The Bible says it's not so fast on that. The rich man thought that it was all for him. He was self-consumed. He referred to everything as my crops, my barns, my goods, my soul. Everything was about him and nothing was about God. It was proved in the end that nothing was his. Even his own soul was accountable to God. He honestly didn't have any crops. He had no barns. He had no goods. And his soul would be dead. He could be lost for eternity even though he had it all while he was here. Because verse 20, or God said to him, you fool, I pity the fool. This very night, the messengers of God will demand your soul of you and all the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? For all this man's seemingly wise planning and business practices, Jesus said that he was a fool. He was stupid. He wasted his life. His focus of life was wasted. That wasn't what he should have been focusing on with his life. I've told you guys this story before, but a number of years ago, was going to get a car and had gone to a car lot in the States. And it was a big car lot where they would take you on a golf cart. So you told them what car you were interested in and it would be way, I mean, way too far to walk. And so the man, of course, he had all this time to kill. So the man is driving the golf cart and he begins to tell me how that he's really basically like self-made, that he just does this for some pocket money. He sells cars for pocket money, that he has like a vacation home in Florida or wherever it was, that he um, takes his whole family. Like he was telling me that he's like, has, his whole life is prepared. And this story came to my mind. And I've told you this before. I remember being there and I was just nervous because then I started to feel the prompting of the Holy Spirit to say something to the guy. And I'm like, I'm, like, I'm trying to buy a car. Like, will this like affect the price that I'll get on this, on this car? But I ended up saying to him, his name was Steve. And I said, Steve, I said, I said, it's amazing. I said, you're providing for your family. I said, he had like all his uh, university tuition paid for for his grandkids. Like he did well. And I said to him, you know, that's amazing. I said, you have told me everything that you have planned for the rest of your life. I said, have you given any thought to eternity? And his face got really red and he got really angry and he began to tell me how this church had hurt him and this, this minister had done something to his family and and just let me have it. And I just said to him, I said, well, whatever could have happened, whatever could have caused that rift and that anger, is it worth you missing eternity for? And that's kind of where we left it. But I just remember feeling that prompting. If you ever wonder about if you're to share your faith with someone, your heart will start beating. Maybe you start to feel like you got a stomach ache and you want to do everything you can to excuse yourself from the situation. But I really believe this. That we, if we want to be used by God, we have to obey him. And even if it's the gentlest nudging, I believe that every time that we just are obedient, that God will give us more and more opportunities. And I remember, like I said, I'm going there to buy a car. I wasn't going there to share faith with this man. This man had everything figured out. He was a fool, not because he was rich. Jesus isn't reprimanding him for having prosperity, being wealthy. It was, he was a fool because he lived without any awareness or preparation for eternity. In a moment, all his plans, all his accomplishments, and life's work were gone. 
He made plans for business. He made plans for life. Not his eternity. With all his wealth, he could not control that death comes knocking. You've heard that old expression, there's two things certain in life, death and taxes. None of us can escape when that knock comes, when death comes knocking. None of his wealth could save him. Nothing else could protect him. Everyone could think that the man in this parable was a great success. But God said he was a fool. There's that old song, I think it is, where I'd rather be a fool in the eyes of man than a fool in the eyes of God. Whose gauge are we looking at? I'd rather God say, well done, good and faithful servant, than be a fool for trying to accomplish great things for myself. Eternity compared to the present proved that the man was a fool. And his story showed that it is stupid to give material things too high a place in your life or your reason for living. See, there are some who that's what their whole purpose in life is. I met a young man years ago. He was just in his early 20s, and his goal, by 30 years old, he wanted to be a millionaire. And he was trying to get his portfolio together, and he was making all these steps. And I thought, boy, that's like a house of cards to build your life on, because you heard, I've shared this last time, but in that stock market crash in 1929, people were just jumping out of windows because they were bankrupt, and they just couldn't live without wealth or without things. Their life was meaningless to them because they weren't wealthy. The man in the parable had wealth but gave no thought to his soul or eternity. And that's really sad. We have people who give no thought or concern for their soul, no concern for eternity. And for us as Christians, that should grieve us. That should grieve us that within, you know, a hundred yards of here, there are people who have eternity in the balance, who have no concern or, or even thought about their souls. That should concern us. We are eternal. We're created eternal And we need to live with that in mind and make our decisions accordingly. God desires that we spend eternity in heaven with him. And he's made the way for us by giving us Jesus Christ, his son, through his death, burial, and resurrection. Are we only living for today? Do we give any thought to our eternal soul? I know, especially when you're ministering to talking to teenagers, they think that's so far off. That's so far deep into the future. I'll give thought to that pastor, sir, ma'am. I'll give thought to that when I'm old. And we know that there's teenagers that die all the time. I remember sharing with the teenagers when we were at All Nations. And I remember telling them, we met on a Friday night. And I remember telling them a similar thing. And they kind of just kind of scoffed. And next week, a 12-year-old girl went to school in Liberton. And a wall fell down and she died. They had a classmate die at 12 years old. This isn't for the future. This isn't for a long way off. Jesus says something to this in Matthew 16. Matthew 16, 24. And Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul is anything worth more than your soul for the son of man will come with his angels in the glory of his father and will judge all people according to their deeds this is so vital and important it's not something that we're guaranteed another 60 years in the future and we'll give thought to that we could gain everything that this world has to offer 
and yet forfeit our soul and lose out on heaven. Speaking of Mr. T, as I said, I wanted to call the the message, I pity the fool. I follow Mr. T on Twitter. He's a Christian, very public Christian, if you didn't know that. Loves God with all his heart. And in America right now, the Powerball lottery is $500 million US. So he just put on, on Twitter, he just said it's you know, half a billion dollars. And he says, you can keep the money, just give me Jesus. He goes, give me Jesus Monday through, through Saturday and twice on Sunday, I'll take Jesus. And I just kind of chuckled to myself because he gets it. He gets it. He could have had, probably has had some fame and fortune, but yet Jesus means everything to him. What if we lost our soul trying to find something else? It's like the proverbial uh, parable of the dog with the bone. Do you guys ever hear that story where the dog has the big bone and he's going across the bridge and he sees a dog with a bigger bone reflection? He don't realize it's his reflection and he'd rather have that one and he loses his. Seeing something, losing something, we would be fools. God would call us fools to lose our soul. Jesus instead says, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. It's almost like you're investing or paying it ahead. Store up treasures in heaven. Continuing Matthew 6, 24, Jesus says this, no one, and by that he means no one, no one can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. He says this in Mark 10, 23, and Jesus looking around said to his disciples, how hard it will be for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. See, friends, when we get to that point where we can be almost to the point of arrogance, when we uh, minister to people in the streets and like, what do I need a God for? What do I need a Savior for? I've got my heating, got my lighting. Like, I don't need God for anything. Uh, Friends, we need a Savior There's no getting there. It's the name of Jesus that changes things. It's him. He's the way. God gave us one way, and it's Jesus. There's no other way. 2 Timothy 3.1, he says, But understand this, that in the last days will come, set in perilous times of great stress and trouble, hard to deal with and hard to bear. Friends, we're getting to the end. He said these things would happen. We're seeing them happen. For people will be lovers of self, and utterly self-centered, lovers of money and aroused by an inordinate, greedy desire for wealth, proud and arrogant and contemptuous boasters. They will be abusive, blasphemous, scoffing, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, and profane. They will be without natural human affection, callous and inhuman, relentless, Admitting of no truce or appeasement, they will be slanderers, false accusers or troublemakers, intemperate and loose in morals and conduct, uncontrolled and fierce and haters of good. We could see all these things happening. I know that for a number of years, reality TV was kind of the the thing. Everyone was on these reality shows. And the saddest part for me was that you would see people who would be willing to do anything for a chance at fame and fortune. There was one called Fear Factor. Anybody ever see Fear Factor? It was like a game show type reality show where you'd have to put your head in and they would let all these tarantulas or scorpions in. Of course, if you couldn't take it, you know, you were out. They would eat bugs. Like they would do just probably the most degrading things they could think of to make them do and they would do it because there's that chance. 
Those shows like Survivor were on and where people would do anything for that shot at fame and fortune. We see this in lives of people today. We're bombarded with this world's wisdom and philosophy that is diametrically opposed to God's ways and wisdom. If we live for and strive for all that the world offers, we could find ourselves on the outside of God's kingdom. And this is even for Christians, because we can fall prey to that as well. We can be tempted. James talks about being tempted and lured away from many things. But Jesus says, deny yourself. Give up your own way and follow me. Friends, it's easy, like I said, when Jesus says, follow me, that's what he, how he wants us to live. It's easy to follow someone if they know the way and you've not been that way before. He says, follow me, deny yourself. Our world says, take care of yourself. Do all you can, look out for yourself. You're number one. John Wesley taught and lived wisely regarding riches. He said that you should earn as much as you can, save as much as you can, and give as much as you can. He himself lived on 28 British pounds a year and gave the rest away, even when his salary went from 30 pounds to 60 pounds to 90 pounds and 120 pounds over his lifetime. Now, that was a number of years ago, and that sounds almost laughable today. Continuing and finishing out this parable in verse 21, and Jesus says, So it is with the one who continues to lay up and hoard possessions for himself, and is not rich in his relation to God, this is how he fares. You guys ever seen? Do, doing a lot of uh, references today, didn't mean to, but there's even a show called Hoarders, where it's like people have this inability to discard anything, and they just hoard things. For a number of years, I worked in the meter department at the electric company, and I used to have to go to everyone's home, every business, and read the meters to give them their bill each month. And I had a few hoarders, and I remember this lady had, to get to the electric meter, I had to, to narrowly go through this big piles of magazines and newspapers. It was beyond a fire hazard. If a fire happened, this thing would still be burning like eight years later. It would still be on fire because of the papers and newspapers and magazines. Friends, we're not to hoard up. It says to be rich in relation to God. So what does it mean to live rich toward God? It means to acknowledge that God blesses us with everything that we have. To live with gratefulness in our hearts and to use what he has given us for the good of others. Here's something in case you didn't know this. We are truly stewards of his blessings. We're stewards. I remember that when we had our daughter and I remember looking at her, she looked like us. But I remember the realization that God's placed her in our care. But she belongs to him. We're a steward. And all that we have belongs to him. He's given us as stewards. And I don't know if you've ever thought about that before. Especially if we're people who, you know, what's mine is mine. What's yours is mine. We're stewards of what God has blessed us with. Wealth can be enjoyed and employed at the same time if our purpose is to honor God. Remember, God's not reprimanding the guy for being wealthy. Many people in the Bible were very wealthy. But what are we doing with that? Timothy says this, 1 Timothy 6, 9, but those who crave to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish 
useless, godless, and hurtful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction and miserable perishing. That sounds awful. It sounds awful. Miserable perishing. He doesn't just say that die, but miserable perishing. How tragic when people that are wealthy in this world are poor toward God, their fellow man in eternity. Jesus is using this to say to his followers, don't let this be your heart issue. Thank you for listening. Please tune in next week for another inspirational message. If you're in the East Lothian area, visit us online at haddingtonelamchurch.com for information about how you can join us for our weekly Sunday services.